BTB listeners, thank you so much for checking out today's episode. Listen, if this episode inspires you, do me a favor and take five seconds to shoot me a like and subscribe to the podcast. There are several more exciting guests that are in the pipeline, and I just can't thank you enough for your continued support, and let's keep paying the mission forward. Thanks for checking out today's episode. Today, I am interviewing one of the athletic trainers from Liberty University, Aaron Schreiner. He was the gentleman who actually helped my friend Stan Vaughn when he had a medical emergency as a Division I tennis player at Liberty, and he's been with the school since 2005. We talk about some of the latest trends with injury prevention in college sports today, some of the words of wisdom that he has for either incoming college athletes or folks that are just simply trying to take care of their bodies. He also has some really awesome words of wisdom when it comes to how to approach life and more importantly, how to prepare for each and every day. This is an inspiring episode. Glad you're checking it out and let's get into it. On today's episode of the BTB Project. Today's guest is a seasoned professional who is part of the sport medicine staff at Liberty University. He currently helps the men's basketball program as the head athletic trainer, but I know him as one of the men that helped save my friend's life when he was playing tennis in college. Before his tenure at Liberty, He served as a graduate assistant at Tiffin University in Ohio, where he pursued a master's degree at Toledo. During his time at Tiffin, he worked diligently as an athletic trainer and helped the Dragons football program, extending his support to the men's and women's soccer teams, basketball, softball, and also baseball. With a passion for excellence and a commitment to professional growth, he became a member of the National Athletic Trainers Association in 2002, and he completed his bachelor's degree in athletic training at Taylor University in Indiana. And in 2002, he got his master's degree in exercise science with an emphasis in clinical kinesiology from Toledo. Aaron Schreiner, welcome to the BTB Project. Don't be afraid of the time. Welcome to the BTB Project, designed to empower listeners to identify their why and to live their best lives no matter the circumstances. My name is Coleman Gerhardt, a former athlete and motivational coach. I've had the opportunity to inspire thousands through my story and help accomplish what they are built to be. You'll be encouraged by each and every episode, and let's get into it. Yeah, when I blow up, I'm a so high like Peter Pan. In real life, be living all my dreams. If I'm waking up, it's in a foreign land. Well, sometimes, again, the BTV project has opportunities to have stories become full circle. And I had a previous episode a few months back with a good friend of mine, Stan Vaughn, who I met while I was a tennis instructor in Evergreen, Colorado, who got to play his collegiate tennis out at Liberty University in Virginia. And it brings me tremendous joy to be able to have one of the lead athletic trainers from Liberty University who specializes in the basketball program 
and who had helped Stan and the tennis program many years back. But I would like to welcome Aaron Schneider to the BTB project. Welcome, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Look forward to it. Stan's a good dude, by the way. <laughs> lo- loved your previous episode as well done. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, as I mentioned, Stan and I go way back. And I'm just really excited to dive into your story because being a former college athlete and still being heavily involved in coaching and, and high school sports, I come across athletes all the time that are either trying to prevent injuries or overcoming injuries. And I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about your background. I know you've been with Liberty since 2005 and it would be uh, awesome just to hear how long you've been there and really what got you to athletic training in the first place. (laughs) What got me to it in the first place (laughs) is I came from a small uh, little rural farm town in Ohio where didn't even have football. Right. So Mm. if, if it's like, it's like the movie Hoosiers basketball was everything in about eighth grade i realized kind of in a hurry that i can't hoop at all so in an effort to really to kind of stay close to the to my peer group who who played you know I, the, the managerial aspect didn't intrigue me but i found out rather quick that there was a medicinal side to mm. um, to uh being around sport right um, mother's a nurse and ah. I've always had kind of a, uh, speak that language, understand that world a little bit. So, uh, that's kind of how it started. I suck at basketball, um, <laughs> realized that, you know, you can be involved in athletics through medicine. Yeah. That's kind of how I'll start. I, I would, I would tell you by my freshman, sophomore year in high school, I, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Definitely by the time I was in college, I knew exactly what I wanted to do as far as the profession. At first, I thought I wanted to get into like EPL, like international soccer. It's actually why I took. Oh, okay. Liberty was my, Liberty was my only D1 offer at the time out of grad school. Gotcha. I did my I did my undergrad at at uh, Taylor in Upland, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great little small Christian college. Fantastic. Formative for how I view the world and how I view the profession. I mean, one, one of my early professors was like, look, if you don't see this as a servant pr- profession, chew you up, spit you out, burn you out quicker than anything, which is very true. So started there. And then I did my grad work technically at Toledo, Ohio, yeah. which is close to home. Cause I'm from Northwest Ohio. I was contracted out to a division two school called Tiffin. Tiffin. Um, yep. yep. yep mm-hmm. The dragons. And then <laughs> I, yeah, when I was done with grad school, I, I started at, at, at LU. They offered me men's basketball and soccer. I took it for soccer. I worked soccer for one year and then uh, our staff grew. And then I was actually moved to football, basketball. So nowadays basketball is year round. Like they don't stop. Right. Um, Then there was more of a hard pause. What was the NCAA allowed? Um, Nowadays it's like all but six weeks. We'll get three weeks off in May and about three weeks off in August. Uh, we're actually in our last week of workouts, summer workouts right now. Okay. Um, so that's how, so yeah, I've, I've always done basketball at Liberty. I've, I've done some Smith stuff. Uh, actually the busiest year I had was the year, the one year that they pulled me out of football because basketball was becoming more full time and they wanted to give me some more ancillary sports. So they gave me men's and women's tennis cheerleading, which they, we brought into the fold underneath athletics and, stay obviously stayed with basketball and that was the year when stan 
decided to try to stop breathing. <laughs> or, yeah, it was it was crazy. But yeah, so it was it was an unbelievable busy year, but and a lot of stuff happened. But still, still some stuff I look back on on fondly. So that that's that's kind of my journey, I guess. I don't no, know that's you. I appreciate you saying that, and I I believe. You said Taylor in, in Indiana. That is a school that's actually come up a few times. I am a I'm an assistant coach for a tennis program at Valor Christian here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple families that are tied to that school. And I believe their dad Colorado is Springs area or no? So we're just north of Colorado Springs in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of Colorado Springs. Folks yeah. and family and stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah and they have the uh, US Olympic training facility down yeah. there. And, uh, yeah, it's a small world. And then Toledo, um, is, is obviously a a great spot too. And I mean, Ohio State. I'll be honest in the tennis world, they're always competitive. Uh, they were right there to, I believe they, they've won the NCAAs a few times, but nonetheless, I think it's really neat kind of, you know, your path. And I've heard a lot of folks that have been involved with sport and maybe they didn't take them where they wanted to go at a competitive level. So they Mm -hmm. maintain that passion through athletic Mm -hmm. training and, you said something that I want to touch on because I want to touch on, you said ancillary sports, you know, cheerleading, yeah. tennis, that's stuff that you've come across. Yep. And I always was kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place because when I went to the training room, when I was at the University of Northern Colorado, all the tables were full of football players, basketball players, baseball players. And I never felt like I had a, a place sometimes being an ancillary sport like tennis. And I'm just curious from your perspective, we all know the sports that drive revenue to universities and the the, the sports where, listen, there's, there's more participants, there's more injuries that happen at the basketball level and the football level, but maybe can you speak to how are you able to really meet the needs of all Mm -hmm. the division one athletes at Liberty? Well, I I would, I would say if if you look at our staff, our staff has grown exponentially since I've even been there. So right now, it's almost a one-to-one. Like you, you have, so I think the tennis, probably the closest proximity of coverage is, is how often, like basketball is gone all the time. So there's one person that goes to women's basketball, one person that goes to with men's basketball. And it, some of it is risk, catastrophic risk. Right. Ironic. We're talking about, we're talking about a dude that ends up in a hospital for a month on a ventilator for a week. Um, but statistically, you know, ankle, you're going to have, you're going to have overuse energy injuries in tennis. You're going to have the acute ankle sprain. You're going to have uh, some acute stuff, but it's probably not going to be. And I, and I say that, you know, we've got a couple girls that are coming off ACLs right now, but it's, it's statistics basically. Um, but what we've tried to do is we're almost at a one-to-one where it's like you, if you could take like the swimming has their own person. The women's basketball has their own person. The men's basketball. So now football still has like three because like it's huge. Track has like two to three because they're huge numbers. Um, so that, that's kind of what drives that. And I think to your point, you can fall back to what I think they had previous models where it was just, you know, five. Well, you, if you actually look at, if you look at, if I'm correct, UVA has recently, when when our profession decided to stop having graduate assistants, they looked, what they were doing is they were taking in so many GAs a year and say, all right, you're going to go cover te- men's and women's tennis. Yep. You're going to cover golf um, and help out with track or something like that. What they realized is 
the GA pool, people that were coming to get a master's degree, you throw them a little stipend and they work for you for two years. That was all going to go away. So mm. it's the whole thing of like, if we still want to take care at a high level, we need more boots in the ground and we need, right. you know, more permanent. So you're, we run kind of like an intern model where we, we don't have GAs anymore, but it's, we still have a staff of, we're actually looking for two positions. So if anybody's interested, we got, we got positions at LU. There you uh, go. Put that out there. My, 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 I give you my cell number, uh, shoot email address, a shriner at liberty. Yes. I'll put um, it in the podcast but, notes, man. I got gotcha. you. No problem. But No, I, I think, I think we're right now at a 17 is our number. Like we have, but full-time athletic trainers, okay. 17. And then that's, you know, you know, I think some of your high, high majors have like things like rowing and stuff like that. So we don't, so, but our numbers are comparable. I mean, we, we, to, I guess to answer your point is, is it takes a village. Um, right. And one thing, as you've seen, even since I worked tennis with Stan that year, I had men's and women's uh, tennis, then cheerleading. And then my basketball guys, Wow. Um, we, we then that very next year split and said, all right, the girl that's working women's volleyball and women's basketball, that's too much for one person. So we ended up having in a small little training room, two, another person, they went, women's volleyball, you're going to take cheerleading. Women's basketball, you're going to take men's women's tennis. And then I pulled away from those two things, and they gave me like golf and then rehab coordinating kind of thing. So it, it's like we've added more positions so that you can, to your point, if if – if there's, if there's not enough people, tennis becomes, or maybe your ancillary sports just becomes acute management. You can't, I think the profession is changing. And I think it's one of the things you want to talk about. The profession is changing from less just band-aids and make sure nobody dies. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to have people around when someone pulls a Damar Hamlin and, right. you know, right. freaky, right? That's not ever supposed to happen, but it does. So you've got to have things in place where you can deal with the unforeseen acute things, the crazy things like, Guillaume Beret that no yeah. one planned for, but now that you, you, you want, I think what you want to get to what you're seeing now is a hybridization, like with, with sports performance, like how I play off of and interact with my strength coach on yes. a daily basis for men's basketball. Like you can't do that if you're not around every day. Correct. So yep. if the women's basketball athletic trainer was also covering volleyball, you can't do that. Now we're in a position where you can start doing that. And, and, and it looks different and you can spend more time with a tennis athlete kind of going, the coach is coming up to you and you're like, what's up with their mechanic? Like, yep. you know, there's one thing, if we could do, you said it, like what you said, if we could do preventative, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Mm. Uh, I think that's kind of where this profession is going. At least I think where it should go. If you look, you look at an NBA training room, like the Washington Wizards facility, you, the, the, they will park. They walk through like a, a locker room area. They move through the training room. They encounter, you know, the trainers that might be getting guys ready to practice. They walk past the office of head athletic trainer, director of performance slash strength coach, nutritionist, mental wellness dude. Or yep, lady. yep. And then they're into the, like literally they're following a corridor that goes from locker room, training room, office space, weight room, practice court. And then you reverse that on the way out the door. And it's this whole thing of it takes a village, or at least at a high level, if that's what you're trying to get after. It, you it, have it to. Yeah. I mean, what I understand is your position, you would much rather be proactive 
in 100%. your athletic training rather than reactive when 100%. you're reacting to 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 an injury. And yeah. I think I, I'd love to hear more about. I mean, obviously the the Liberty basketball program is a very competitive program, and out here in Colorado, you know, at the NBA level, the Denver Nuggets just celebrated a world championship. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I watched mm-hmm. Jamal Murray come back from that devastating knee injury and. I'll be honest, I've seen a lot of knee injuries uh, in tennis and a lot of hip and adductor injuries. And I would just kind of love to hear from you on on what you're seeing these days. You said a, a couple gals that you've come across are, are fighting some ACLs, but what, do you, what are you seeing? And, uh, you know, maybe give the listeners kind of a heads up of what they can do proactively before yeah, yeah. going to a college program yeah. to where they might be, um, yeah. you know, open to these types of injuries. If, if we're doing things right, I think you're, you'll, you, you always have your kind of outbreaks, your rashes, um, you know, where it just seems like we got another one. Um, yeah. and I would tell you from year to year, it's like <laughs> one year was plantar fascia. The next year it was like, it was, oh, I don't know. It, it just, it, it's, it, it's, it's funny. It's, you kind of have to laugh at it, but, um, the, the hope would be is if, if prevention can work, because if you look at the the tenets of athletic training prevention is actually one of the first ones. But again, if, if you're short staffed, it gets pushed back because you don't have the assets to, or you don't, or if you don't have a good relationship with a strength coach, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, but when it does work, you know, the hope would be, you know, you see less of the ACL type stuff, the, the big, bad, if you can mitigate time loss, I guess that's the thing. Mm. Um, uh, so that would be the hope. Would you say you're seeing less of the ACLs because of? I, I do. I'd like to say so because I think there, there, there are now. You, you can get into them too, whether you can get like ACL preventative like workshops or or training programs, and I do think they have merit. I, I do also think if if you've got a good performance coach, strength coach, the weight room should be an asset. You know, right. I, I think we're past the stage, or we should be past the stage where you know the weight room. You, don't get me wrong, especially in football, you can lift yourself out off, off the field. And I'm, that's um, funny you bring that up because as a tennis player, I'll be honest, at the University of Northern Colorado, we didn't have the diversification of the training. Right. So we so were you, doing you the football not, program no, and then no, pounding no, pavement no, on the tennis that. court. Yeah, yeah, right? we, we've learned that. And I think, I think yeah. we've learned, um, and again, that, that staff on our end has also gotten bigger, but we've learned that if I'm not going to lift – we got a we got a player who is investigating the G G League right now, and it's like I'm a hundred and sixty, hundred ninety pounds, right? He's a tiny little guy. Got it. He's not gonna lift or shouldn't lift the same as Shaq back in the day. It just it it, it, it that'd be dumb, right? So right. the other diversification is you're not gonna lift a tennis player the same that you're gonna be. Uh, a football player you shouldn't at least uh and if those things are true you know you look at like arm care and baseball you know that stuff finds its its way into the weight room and you're using some of that time to the thing the thing about golf if golf is always rotating let's say i'm a right-handed golfer i'm always rotating to my left right i'm probably gonna have some movement asymmetries that are gonna like if I could almost rotate to the right in some of my training in, in, in the weight room or even in the training room to try to 
open up things that I've been repeatedly slamming shut. Right. Um, so I think to answer your question previously, things like the SFMA, the selective movement assessment, um, ways that you can figure out where everybody's got a weak point. Everybody's got an asymmetry. Everybody's got some sort of dysfunction that if you could investigate some of its screening to the FMS, like I said, the SFMA, which is a little higher level, um, or if we have things that we've noticed, like I know this guy is anteriorly tilted in his pelvis. I know mm. so if he's anteriorly tilted in his pelvis, um, he's probably not activating through his glutes, but guess where he's feeling it. I've got a guy right now. It's, it's, he's almost always exclusively calf complaint starts first. Mm. He's having a small muscle trying to do a big muscle job. The big muscle, even though he is trying to activate, 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 can't activate because it's inhibited by the hip flexor, which is holding him in an anterior pel pelvic tilt. So, and some of that stuff is like, again, it takes a village. It's multiple sets of eyes. My strength coach is seeing something. I'm seeing something. We're talking to the guy. And it's just, I would, A, a your freshman year, this is, this is what I tell freshmen. You got to learn me and I got to learn you. I got to know mm. when you speak because yeah. everybody's different too. Some yes. guys don't say nothing. But then they say one thing and it comes off as a casual statement and it's a cry for help. And it's the only way they know how. And you got some dude that's just like, yep, 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 about everything. And it's a nothing, right? So some of it is you've got you've to just learn them and they've got to learn you. But my hope is by someone is in a pro organization, you'd like to say you have a guy for more than four years. But let's be honest, you know, with contracts and stuff, you might not. Mm. But in college, if you can have a guy at our level because we're not one and doneers. If we can have a guy for four to three or four years, my hope is by the time he's a junior and a senior, he's feeding himself. I'm just helping. And we've taught him through his freshman, sophomore year, a, what to listen to, how to correct certain things. And it's, it's, yeah, it's almost like how you system changes over time. I've, I've got another guy that I don't know how we got him through his freshman year, but we did by the, by the grace of the almighty. Mm. Um, he's going into his fifth year his COVID year and the best he's ever felt. And it's the, the thing is, is he's just kind of, he's learned to listen to his body, understand what it's telling him, how to communicate it to me um, and kind of develop the routine that his body needs. Um, and without that, with, it, it, it would have been 10 years ago, that guy I would have spent this year and probably the year prior, just literally holding him together with duct tape. Yep. Now, now I don't do that. I, <laughs> When it when it works smooth, you you, you get that. So that's no, that's, that's well said, and I think that uh, how you are working amongst all the different departments surrounding yeah. the athlete, it is a holistic program you guys are running, and that is uh, key because each each sport is is different. And one hundred percent, I want to. I think yeah, I, I think there's there's a phrase our director says that you know it used to be you know, sports, the difference between sports performance and sports medicine, if you will, is medicine tends to be like my little silo. I'm going to hold this and I'm only going to give you back when I think, you know, you're like hundred percent or like you've been, you, you've, you've, you've checked the box. It's been six months. You should be good. So uh, you can, you can go back. Now it's more like sports performances. It's, it's a continuum. Like let's take the ACL uh, timeline. Traditionally, it was just, you're going to, you're going to be over here in the training room prison for six months, and then you can get out 
And if you're strong enough, you know, maybe you can go play. But there's no transition to what functional sport looks like. Like you're great on a knee extension machine, but you, you barely know how to time a ball up anymore. Um, mm. you, you go to slide, you really don't trust it. Now we're changing McKinnon because you don't trust it. So what I think we try to do now better is I kind of I kind of say who's the quarterback for what phase. If acute, it's probably going to be me. And but like we had one kid, major knee injury. He what he was limited in his motion, but my strength coach, like I would do his rehab the volume, but then he'd go up in the weight room and he would just be in a lunge position that was approved, like the range that he was in. And he would literally just throw jabs and hooks holding this isometric position and just, yeah, it's, he, was, he was going after his legs, but he wasn't doing it in a way that was ballistic or unapproved. And, and it's, mm. you know, but then you watch him and he transition, he's doing, he starts doing less with me. I'm just prepping him. The weight room is the volume of his work. And then I'd put like some band-aids, band-aids on afterwards. And it's just this whole thing of like, A, you can see the train moving. And then with each phase, the kid's more and more confident. So by the time we released him, there was no question. Yeah, it just it takes planning, and it does. I, I think the common thing I've said so far is it takes a village, right? Um, and it takes a really good communication. You've got to trust, you know, you got to trust the team you're working with because that's the other thing. If you can communicate all you want, but if you don't trust, um, it doesn't get you anywhere. Um, you know, coach, coach always says the thing. You know, truth doesn't transform. Trusted truth transforms. Mm. You can know, but until you trust it. It, it, it does not have the, it, it cannot affect you if you don't trust it. At the, at the end of the season each and every year. And again, you've been doing this since 2005. I yeah. mean, what is, what is considered a good year for Aaron Schneider? What's a good year? Um, I like winning, <laughs> um, but, but I think, I think a good year is, you know, I, th- I think you could always say you don't want to see someone suffer. You don't want bad mm. things to happen. But, you know, knowing that that does happen, I think I think it's I, – I, I like – I think I've done a good job when, when things happen. Did I manage the acute side of things well? Did I, did I make a good decision? And then did I communicate well in the sense that the athlete – and the coaching staff, you know, something happens at, after, at, when it's all said and done, the athlete and the coaching staff were, they understood what the plan would be mm. and they under, and if it changes, they understood why. And, and it's kind of like, I'm, I'm okay with unexpected things happening, but I don't want anyone to think that, you know, after the acute crisis is over that the plan was never communicated or the plan failed. You know, I want to, I want to be able to say that we had a good plan and it, you know, it, we did the best we could with all of it. And, 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 and again, I guess what makes me happy, I guess to also answer that question is um, so this one guy that I was telling you about the, the, the guy that's trying to do some G league stuff, G league, like, yep. he has options. And we run into something going into his senior, his final year. And it was literally, so I've already spent four years with this kid. Like I know him and he knows me. And it was kind of like the doc kind of looked at him and gave him some options. And the kid looks at me and he goes, what do you think? And I went, uh, this. And he's like, okay. And it was like one of those things where like, 
I trust you. So it, it, my, mm. I, you know, and, and, and I'm okay. And again, like I said, freshman, I got to earn that. I had, I looked at a kid a couple months, a weeks ago and he had his first ankle sprain. His eyes were like this big, like, you know, and, and he's looking at two, <laughs> he's looking at another two guys on the table and they're worse, but they're still like, without well, a blip practicing. And it was kind of like, you could see him. He's looking, he's like, I know how I feel. I know what I see. I'm watching them. And this guy's telling me this, that, and the other, and I can see the wheel spinning and I go, Hey, you know, I know, I know you don't trust me yet, but we're going to get there. He's like, I trust you. I'm like, no, I, I know enough to know that you're, you're telling me what you want me to hear. You just don't yet. That's okay. Yep. But we walk through a couple of these things and there's some theology there too. Let, let's, let's, one of the reasons the good Lord will bring you through things is because in a way he's asking, do you trust me? And and it doesn't always go your way too. What if it, you don't get the promotion or whatever? Yep. There, there the question still maintains. You, you prayed for this. You asked for this. You didn't get it. But do you still trust me? Right. Well, it didn't go. Uh, I, I, I hear you. But do you still trust me? Um, Mark 9, the father that brings um, his um, demon-possessed son, could, could, the, the disciples couldn't heal him. So they show up at Jesus, Jesus' feet. And they're like, the, the dad goes, you know, Rabbi, if you can heal my son, and Jesus just surgically goes, "What do you, what do you mean if?" And the and the father's response is just layered and just awesome. If you take the time, he goes, "Lord, help my unbelief. Mm. Heal my son." A good God, whether it be an athletic injury, yep. whether it be a lost job, yep. whether it be family trauma, will ask us in those moments in the quietness. And, and this is, I think one of the things that our culture has to get away from is we just, we're go, 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 go busy, busy, busy. There is no stillness of our mind. Yep. Be still know that I'm the Lord. If you're not still, you can't know. And it has nothing to do with academic. We'll go back to the, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you know, it's matter what you trust. Be still and know yep. and that I'm the Lord. So I think the, he, I know this in my life, he will bring you to a point where he says, who am I? And do you trust me? And if the answer is no, he's still okay with that. Yeah. He just wants you to be flipping honest enough to say, you know what? I, 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 I don't know if I trust you. And in that moment, God can go, okay, I can work with that. Right. So, and it's just bringing us to those moments. So I don't even know how we got to that. No, that's beautiful. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And I think... Yeah. You know, and I shared with you before we hopped on that, you know, coming from, from my background of college athletics and I'm going to, I'm going to start with a, a quick story and then get, get your feedback on, on something that you experienced is, you know, my, uh, my senior year of college, I was kind of, you know, building that trust with the training staff and everybody on the training staff was like, man, this guy has a bad back. And I, you know, I had a lot of, yeah, I had a lot of uh, issues with just kind of instability in my core, you know, tight hip flexors, just because I was overused with, you know, kyphotic and thoracic scoliosis and things like that. And I was able to kind of compensate with a very unusual way of developing other muscle groups that kind of allowed me to get away with the deck of cards I was built with genetically and it led to an injury my senior year I was training for the spring season and went down with 
numbness in my left leg and a sharp pain in my lower back and went in to get an MRI. And when I did the MRI, the uh, nurse kind of scratched her head as the image was being taken and they asked me to come back two days later to do it with contrast. Mm. And after I did it with contrast the second time, they said, well, you have two bulging discs. That's why your back hurts. But we also found this benign tumor in your spinal canal called a schwannoma, a mm. neural sheath tumor that was connected to my cord about the size of a golf ball. And they said in two weeks, I needed to have it taken out. Otherwise it could cause paralysis from my waist down. Wow. So I then basically got really acquainted with my athletic training staff because I actually had to play one more tennis match in order to satisfy my scholarship because I had to play a certain number of matches in order to have the scholarship. That's how yeah, it was written. Money. Right. So yeah. I ended up getting shot up. I got an epidural and a couple of days later I was on the tennis court and ended up winning a match in three sets somehow, some way. And 24 hours later, I was in surgery. Yeah, I share all of this because part of my journey was the recovery side of it. So I had lost function of bowels and bladder. I um, was in adult diapers for 13 months trying to finish grad school because I had trauma from basically it's, it's a, yeah, a scalpel is between the tumor and the cord. And if you get any, any sort of the nerves there, you're, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Nerves hold grudges. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. So what's fascinating is I go through that experience. I end up becoming a coach and I end up in this town in Evergreen, Colorado. And I come across this guy, Stan Vaughn. And at the time, Stan was a high school kid at at Mullen and was going into, I believe, his senior year. And long of the story is, is, you know, Stan became a a highly recruited guy out of Colorado and ended up uh, taking his talents to Virginia and playing for the Liberty Flames. And all of a sudden, and this is where I want you to kind of take over as I've, you know, set the the precedence of, just you've seen a lot. You've seen some common injuries. You've seen, um, you know, the preventative maintenance side, but when you have a one-off, it's something that you remember for the rest of your life. And I would love for you to share to the listeners. When I say Stan Vaughn, what comes to mind for you? Interesting. Actually, one of the most vivid memories I have with that is seeing his mother for the first time. So he, you know, comes from Colorado. His mother's Russian. He texted me like on a weekend or like something. And he's like, hey, I don't mean to bother you, but I'm in the hospital. I'm like, already, I'm like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Don't mean to bother me. You're in the hospital. I don't even know about it yet. So I'm like, what's going on? And the story coming, you know, he couldn't feel his face and his RD, you know, the, the, it happened late at night. And I think they thought it was just kind of like a, an allergic reaction. Mm. Um, kind of basically was if you know he was on he was on prednisone for mono um and and basically his body decided it wanted to eat its own nerves um long well the myelin sheath technically so so i say all that because this thing is starting to progress he's been admitted Uh, i'm on the phone with mom and dad we're gonna come um and 
this is a kid I don't know. Zero, zero relationship really at the point, at that point in time. Like barely know him. He's been here for I think it was his freshman year, so he'd been there for three months. So you hadn't seen him for any sort of treatment. No, no, no. Like maybe the casual one-off, like, Hey, I'm a little tight here. Isn't what can I do about it? Kind of thing. Maybe. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but no, he wasn't, he wasn't greasing the wheels and I wasn't seeing him every day. Uh, well, yeah. The, the only interaction I have with him is the mono. So right. mono, okay. all the team positions, um, did the prednisone and like, this all happens like oh, two weeks later. And actually that's kind of in literature nowadays as they try to figure out Guillain Bray, they really don't quite understand it all the way. But so I am, my hackles are up a little bit because mom and dad are coming and I can just imagine, what do you mean my baby's going to be put on a ventilator? What are you guys doing here? What is this disease? I don't really understand it all the way. And I, I'm, I'm preparing myself to defend the fact that the kid's being taken care of. It's just, we're waiting, right? Mm-hmm. We're waiting for the, they, they push basically a thing called immunoglobin, therapy they 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 put they they give the body something else to attack so it leaves the the myelin sheath alone problem is um no one really knows how long the the myelin sheath is going to be down right so it's kind of so and that's so you have this progression then you got to try to stop it and then it kind of regresses but so anyway like i said the thing i memorized there i see if i had a one word picture or it's not even stan it's his mom Round in the corner, yeah. and um, uh, and it was it was they. So it, it's it's Stan's stepfather and his mother. They took the tension out of the room. It was like, yeah, we've crazy thing. We we had an aunt that had it back home in Russia like a year or two ago. Ah, like, cool. And 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 we're not cool. Like he's still like progressing. Like he's he's now like can feel it in his chest. He's, they haven't innovated him yet, but they're like watching him and, and the, he's not getting better. He's getting worse day by day. And mom and dad come in and they're like, we're good. We got it. You know, we're, we, tr- we trust, we trust the process basically. And I'm like, okay. Um, Man. and cause I wasn't, I was, I was freaking out. I was going to um, say, I mean, in that moment you see, you've seen athletes in, I mean, you've probably seen athletes right after injury. You've seen athletes. Yeah in pain you've seen athletes suffering what did it mean for you to see stan in that hospital bed the way that you saw him uh unnerving i mean i had some good i mean obviously i'm not making the calls we have some really talented physicians that surround us the consensus was you know the measures that they were taking, even when they innovate, when they sedated him was, was an act of prevention and safety. And like, we don't, we don't want to get to a point where we, but they, they had, of course they're telling us they had full expectation that he was going to come back. So I, I, at that point, it helped that mom and dad were calm. Mm. If mom and dad would have been understandably concerned, it would have made everything worse because now you're trying to like, and, and it's almost like, I guess to answer your question, I get paid. Part of my job is to be calm and breathe reassurance into the situation, uh, even if my mind is screaming. Like uh, I'll, I'll joke with my guys that you know the Kevin Ware situation where the guy does the, the from Louisville and his his leg snaps. Um, I actually know who the athletic trainer was that took care of him, but and I've since asked him like, "Hey, how was that? Was that crazy?" He's like, "Man, it was nuts." But I mean, if you watch the video, Patino is white as a ghost. 
Mm-hmm. There's a dude that literally throws up on in his lap. He he literally watches the jumper go. He hears the bone break, and then you see him look at Kevin and then throw up in his lap. So and but if you watch the athletic trainer Fred, he uh, Mr. Henner, he actually he's there. He he basically puts his knee on the kid's chest, covers it up with a towel, and is in control. Like he's not gonna do anything. Like PR medics are over there too. They're like they're getting him ready for transport. And, and, and the trainer's just like, we got it. Bringing like, calmness yes. to the moment. Now, because, don't get me wrong. Yeah. When the truck, when the truck leaves and everybody else goes back to playing a game or watching, doing practice, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I'll probably be in the corner puking in a trash can because mm. the adrenaline's going to wear off. But it, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like one of those things like that's, that's what we're there for is just to bring calm, manage it, manage it. And then afterwards, help people process it. So in the moment, I would say when I saw Stan, it was, you know, I wasn't I wasn't gonna go there and bring chaos. It was gonna be, I have a little bit of a humor streak. Uh, try to bring a little humor to a crappy situation. Right. Um, you know, try to keep people like let the coach know. You know, like what information can I take back and just let people know how things are going. Uh, again, like I said, having mom and dad there and not freaking out was beyond huge. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's what I remember. The human, the humor piece is something that I want to bring some attention to because <laughs> I find it ironic that when I spoke with Stan on his episode, that one of the things that resonated with him that you said. And I don't know when it was, but maybe you could shed some light on that moment was he had some serious concerns about his future, yeah. whether it was walking, let alone playing tennis and, and life in general. And yeah. something came up along the lines of being able to have children. Yeah, and you said, you, you yeah. said something along the lines of I said Stan, yeah. <laughs> You're going to have beautiful babies. Don't worry about it. Do you remember that moment, man? I do. I do. I do. It was, it was towards the tail end. I mean, he had, so the crazy thing about Stan is like the guy goes from being in hospital for almost a month. He's on a, he's on a ventilator for like a week. Um, this is like November, I think October, November. He played spring tennis. Like right. he came back, he went back to Colorado, as you know, yeah, no, and that's where I he saw him. I like, saw him at like, Craig like, Craig Hospital. Like, I gotta get. He's like, I can't. Like, I'm not that bad. I've got to. And I think some of that too was a little bit of rush on his part of like, to your point, like I I want to be normal again, and I got to get away from that, and I got to go. And I think some of it he he rushed. Um, he could have taken his time coming back that year, but, and I think some of that. I don't want to speak for him, but I think some of that, am I ever going to be normal again was still a discussion in the end. And and I think it came out in the, in the whole thing about kids too. Right. I, you know, cause that's one of the things they told him, told us is like, Hey, look, you know, we think he's going to resolve, but will he ever be the same? And I remember watching like, especially in the beginning, he would get, he would get super tired. Like his fatigue rate was just, he went from being just a machine to like shrine. If I don't win in the first three, I can't win. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, it's just, I won't, I can't outlast anymore. So it changed the way that he played the game too. And I think sometimes too, that there's another theology point is, you know, we pray, we want answer in the immediacy. And sometimes God says, wait, 
you know, my grace is sufficient weight. Mm. And it's kind of like, you just get to the point, like how long, like, you know, that's, that's when Abraham got into a problem. Like, how long am I going to wait? Well, I, I'll, I can make my way with Hagar and, and we'll, we'll do it that way. Well, that's not what, that's, that's not the way it was supposed to be. Um, so, but, but I think that that's when it gets that I that almost think is harder than the trauma. The waiting is harder than the trauma. And, um, I, I would, it, it's almost, well, if you know Stan at all, like that's one of the, one of the things like him just saying, Hey, am I, am I ever, that's him saying in a loud voice, even though it's a diminutive statement, you know, I, you know, yeah. Am I, am I normal? Like, is this my new normal? Like, does this, will this ever change? And it's good to hear that he's doing, it's just, it's taken a long time. It has a lot slower than what he wanted, but I'm glad, I'm glad, (laughs) I'm glad he kind of said, like I spoke prophetically or whatever, but I wouldn't quite say that. I was just trying to be positive. And and like, if you, if you've seen Stan and you've seen Lily, they're beautiful people. Absolutely. In my mind, there was like, zero doubt that they were going to have beautiful children. <laughs> but so. I think what's really neat though, is in that moment being positive, you know, and tying yeah. this back to faith yeah, and yeah. just life yeah, yeah. in general, right. Yeah. As athletes, we can beat ourselves up pretty yeah. easily with negative yeah. self-talk, self-doubt yeah. and the power of positive affirmations. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. bringing, bringing context back. Right. And I think, it's easy. One of the things coach talks about process over uh, performance or product, even right. People say that like honor the process. And, and it's kind of like, it sounds cliche to live. That is really hard. But I think what that does is that gives you the ability. If you can live that way is it, it gives you the ability to kind of find that you're never too high. You're never too low. You're just climbing. You're staying on that trajectory. And you know that just because you hit a game winning shot, Okay. I'm not going to think that much more of myself. I mean, my confidence is my confidence. My, my reps are my reps. Uh, I trust my teammates. You know, it's just, it is right. The MJ and, quote, I've, I've made a lot, a lot less than what I've missed. Right. And yeah, just trusting yeah, yeah. the process and 1% better process. every day. Yeah. And, and I think they're also, this is why I love sport. I think sport in the teamship principles in sport, whatever, whether it's tennis, basketball, I, what I love about sport is I think there are moments of divine kind of revelation of like, there's, there's substance to it, how we're supposed to live in a community. And, you know, we're not meant to live on our own. You know, we need someone next to us. That's going to help say, Hey, keep, keep doing the process, keep doing the process. Because there are moments where we'll again, get too high on ourselves or we'll get too low. And we need to surround ourselves with people, both in our physical pursuits and our theological pursuits of stay the course process. Now, how many times staying on the subject of, of kind of the mental side and, mm-hmm. and with, and with injury prevention and things that mm-hmm. you see, how, how much of this is tied to the mindset and having a positive mindset? Because I just, I I get a sense from you that as you're surrounding yourself with the strength coaches and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. sport coach Mm -hmm. and the sports psychologist or the mental side of what's offered at Liberty, how much of that mental piece is part of the equation when it comes to keeping our bodies healthy? I I don't don't think you can stress it enough. Mm. Um, 
A, A, we know from physiological perspective that if you live in constant stress, your, your body does not differentiate between a, physio- a physical stress, me poking you, and emotive stress, right? So if you're not sleeping well, aka the first part of recovery, and if, if you don't have a good mindset, um, you can even say your inflammatory markers are up, like cortisol levels are up, right? So stress is stress. You've got to, and to me, mindset, but I think also identity. I think you have to know who you are, mm. whose you are, and, and those two things in, in the in the prep, proper context. Because, um, again, why, why team sports, I think, have such, like, you are part of something bigger than self. And in, if self is having a bad day and the team is the principal object, that's okay, right? Mm. Because the team grows. And sometimes it takes you taking a half a step back, two steps back, but then, you know, yeah. So, and and I think, so to me, identity um, allows you to have the proper mindset. I don't think you can have a good mindset if you don't have a good, what defines you is the other thing. So I can try to define myself or does my identity come from something else? Um, You gotta be careful with that too. Um, Because we can, we can, to me, that's, that's a false idol. Like, who defines us? Uh, and then once you accept that identity, how do you how do you build your framework, your pursuit around what has defined you? Do you accept it, and then are you pushing it forward? Does, mm. that, does that make any sense? No, it does. It makes it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think if we're called to a higher standard, a thing bigger than self, right? You have to have other people around you that remind you of that standard, right? Remind you of that identity of that calling and affirm you and bring you up a pat you on the butt when you did bad. Okay. Let's yeah. reinvest. Okay. Pick it up. Love you. Coach you tough. Same way. But then also, you know, celebrate your victories, but then remind you, we still got work to do. Like it ain't over kind of thing. All right. Yeah. I mean, we're always trying to find ways to get better because if we're not, if we're not growing and learning and improving, then we're, we're getting worse and yeah, be- yeah, it's a slow death. Yes. It really is. And being able to have that awareness it leads me to a question for you is, you know, you're for the majority of your life, you've spent helping other people and mm-hmm. taking on kind of that, that servant leaders mentality. But I'm curious being a, being a trainer and in, in, in your own personal life, what are some things that you do to keep yourself in alignment to be able to help others? Um, Besides getting some good haircuts. That's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, we're led. I'm, I'm led well. Okay. Mm. It allows me to do my job. Yeah. Uh, I've got a great head coach. I've got a great head, head athletic trainer and ad, admin stuff too. But I think the other thing to that is also the framework in which I came up in my background. I, I would also say, I, again, I, it's going to, I know who I am by whose I am, right? Mm. And 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 I, my cup gets filled by the vocation that I do because I know why I do it, okay? If I'm doing it for the wrong, so it goes back to the very first thing. If you don't do this for the right motivation, it will consume you and destroy you. But if you do it for the right reason, it can fulfill you, okay? So, there's a, there's that play. 
I also, I do my job. I'm allowed to, with, with, at least with, with basketball, uh, I'm, I'm, I can sit in and on all our, all our culture sessions and it's, um, it has made me, my time in the locker room has made me a better husband and a better dad. Uh So I, I can, I can see where my work because I I've committed myself to this entity. And I think, I mean, I think I've got a good one and that's not always the case. There can be some really toxic places. And then I think your purpose changes a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you're meant just to be the only glimmer of hope and life and life in a situation. You just got to just know that's where you've been planted and you've got to grow and you've got to flourish. And it's, it, it never is about you. You know, you're there for a reason. And my grace is sufficient. Do you trust me? And all that, all those things that, that, you know, those can be traumas, just like blowing your ACL out can be a trauma. Right. But since I've found myself in a good place, the non-tangible things that my work gives me, because my profession is long, you know, that week, I won't lie to you, but it, uh, those things allow me to approach the day today, the day to day in the proper context. And, and their gifts that the team is gifts, if that makes sense. And, yes. they, and they help. But I, again, I think it really always goes down to mindset identity. I know who I am. I could, well, the coach has a great phrase. You cannot give away what you do not possess. I want that to be true. I want to learn things so that I can give them to my kids, to my wife, to my athletes and my experiences, all of our experiences, like, how we, the job that we have, the sport that we, if we're young enough, I'm too old, you know, the sport that we, are they giving you experiences that can teach you something about, again, who you are, whose you are. And then once you, I, you accept those realities. Now, can you begin to give yourself away? Cause we're not designed. I don't believe to just hoard. Yeah. We're designed to learn, grow, develop, and give. If you don't Back. give, then, then, then I think we get stuck in that trap where it's, about me. And now I'm focused on, well, I didn't make the show, you know, I, it didn't, it didn't go well for, well, again, it's not about you. It's not. Mm-mm. So. No, nah, it's uh it's well Sorry. said. And it leads me to one final question for you just to kind of tie this all together, because I mean, you've, you've seen a lot, Aaron, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Your, your story, your journey, the number of athletes that you've been able to, to help and uh, guide in, in collegiate sport and obviously being a husband and a father, I can, I can relate a lot of moving parts on my end with <laughs> three kids and 13 years of marriage. So I'm holding on to the handlebars <laughs> as much as I can. And obviously our, our connection with Stan and, and, and Lily and their, their, you know, beautiful baby girl and mm-hmm. all of the, the tremendous blessings that they have in their life. But, you know, it, it just kind of makes me reflect to, you know, I've been able to be around high school athletics for 16 years. I got to play Division One and, and do a few semi-pro stuff, and I am very taken back and honored to have done that. But the thing that really makes me tick is, as you've mentioned, that opportunity to, to give back and to impact mm-hmm. others. And when this is all said and done and you ride off into the sunset of, of athletic training, I would love for you to – maybe take a second here to reflect and you know, you've, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot and based off of who you were when you were that 16, 17 year old self, you know, trying to figure out basketball and 
maybe realizing that uh, there's a lot of guys that can jump higher and run faster than you, but you know, you finally yeah. get into athletic training and, and, and it goes from there. But I just love based off of what you've learned and what you know now, if you had to give yourself advice in that moment back in the day, what would be some words of wisdom that you would give yourself? That's great. I think back then I cared a little too much about what people thought, who they thought I was. Right. I mean, I grew up a a pastor's kid. I, I knew things. I mean, I had a probably fairly established identity, at least to what I thought it hadn't probably been challenged much. I would have, I would have encouraged myself to put myself in positions where I was forced to trust you know, that weren't necessarily mm. safe, uh, forced to kind of challenge maybe how I understood or even viewed myself in, in the surroundings that I was in, but be okay with the tension and the dichotomy. A lot of the, and I think you see it in sport. I mean, you, you can look, you know, it doesn't matter how gifted a kid is and we're in a really safe place. Like, um, both, both, I would say even in tennis and basketball. Like we're, we're in a safe place where I think kids are, are taken care of and loved on regardless of how they perform. Mm. But like, you even look at like my star point, I, I, I can see the look in his eyes sometimes where it's kind of like I had a bad day and like self value and all that stuff kind of go, you can see it kind of shrink and it, it doesn't, you know, I've got another guy who's older and like he's steady, just steady. Doesn't matter how good, doesn't matter how bad, just, and I, he, he knows who he is. Um, and I think can a 17, 16 year old understand that? I don't know. I think it takes the journey. I think it takes the bumps yes. in the road. I, I think it take, and I think you have to be okay again with what other people think about you and the other bumps in the road that come along with it. Because if you are willing to keep prodding through the bumpy road, trusting that it's going to take you in the right place, I think the outcome is good. Assuming you're on the right road, let's be honest, sometimes trials can be to reorient us from stop being a knucklehead. You know, that was a detour. I'm going to send you back the other way. But assuming we are yielding ourselves to the proper way, learn learn to trust just a little quicker. When you, the other thing I'd say is when you fall down, get up. Yes. Get up a little quicker. To me, that's the definition of maturity. It's not so much, hey, I should fall down less. I should. But when I fall, do I get up a little quicker? Just mm one step quicker because I think the issue with, with negative talk in sport, how do I silence that? How do I reorient that? How do I get back to center and go in the right direction? And then theology, how do I stop beating myself up? Yep. Okay. How do I ask for, own it, ask yeah. for forgiveness and then move, you know, <laughs> leave it at the foot of the cross and move. Right. Yep. Right. Or do we stay there too long? Yeah. So I, I would say 17 year old, uh, trust more, get up quicker. Don't worry about other people as much. Yeah. Just learn your identity a little quicker. Aaron, I, uh, it's wise words, man. And there's so much so many nuggets that myself and the listeners are going to take away from this conversation. And okay. first and foremost, I just have to say, thank you. Yeah. Stan is a good, good friend of mine. And I never thought that uh, I was in a hospital bed in college sharing that story to him before he was in a hospital bed in college, that it would lead to me praying over him at Craig hospital. When he got back here moments before he was able to get back on the court with yeah. you guys. So I can't thank you enough 
leaning on your faith to have the Lord work through you to help a dear friend of mine. And more importantly, all of the athletes that you've been able to cater to over the years at Liberty, you're incredibly loyal to that program. And I'm just excited to see what's ahead for you and the university. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me here on the BTB project. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Excellent words from my time with Aaron Schneider and being able to understand the importance of trust and learning to trust sooner rather than later, I believe was a big takeaway from this conversation. Sometimes in life we can walk pretty cautiously or assume that you know, people don't have our best interests and things like that. And when it comes to athletic training or when it comes to being an athlete, being able to trust your body, being able to trust the people that are around you to help you and to support you, allow you to have the support mechanisms you need to do anything you want in life. And there's so many great takeaways from my conversation with Aaron. Do me a favor. If this is a podcast that has resonated with you, please like and subscribe. Better yet, if it's something that you think a friend or a colleague could benefit from, go ahead and forward it to them and tell them how it's resonated with you. I'm going to continue to provide credible content, prolific guests, and ways to continue to pay the mission forward. As always, impossible is nothing. And until next time, Take care.